Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to John 21. Turn with me to John 21. And we're looking at the last part, part three, of Peter's close encounter. What happens when a powerful cleric encounters the risen Christ? Well, what we know is that it's going to be confrontational. And that's what we're going to look at today, the confrontation. Someone once said that our entire lives, our entire lives after we're saved, is one long P.S. that says, thank you. And that's really ought to be true. But is it true of us? What Peter said was, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Thank you, Lord. I'm going fishing. So let's take a look at last week, the last two weeks, we've looked at the carnal, casual followers. We said that John chapter 21 is divided up into two parts. Verses 1 through 14 is a reminder of their calling as they live in the tension between the now and the not yet. For them, Christ had risen, but He hadn't ascended. For us, He has ascended, but He hasn't returned. And we said that there were four truths. So let me give you those. I'm not going to teach them. I'm just going to give you to and realize four truths for busy but barren disciples. Number one, recognize that we live in this tension. Recognize that we live in the tension between the now and the not yet. Therefore, we must surrender and adjust our lives to the risen Lord. That's what we do. You say, how do I live in this tension? I surrender and adjust my life. And remember we said He stands when He appears. He stands with authority. And He calls us to Himself. Center your life around me. Number two, resist the temptation to return to that old way of life. I've tried to argue and try to show you from Scripture that verses 1 through 14, the whole fishing thing, I'm going fishing, is really a result of giving in to the temptation to return to the old way of life. But we've got to resist that and not become casual, carnal followers of Christ, but committed ones. Number three, respond to the test. The good news is this. When we give in to the temptation to be carnal and casual, the Lord will meet us where we are and He will test our obedience. And so we need to respond to the test with an obedient life. And I gave you a chart there of the the two ways of life. That kind of summarizes last week's lesson. So you can look at that. Basically, am I living in the flesh or am I living in the spirit? Number three, relish, relish being treated by the risen Lord to the benefits of the new way of life. I really like this, that before Jesus confronts Peter, he treats him to the benefits of their obedience. He said, hey, cast the net. You'll catch fish after fishing all night. They cast the net. They get 153 fish. And then he says, hey, bring them. But by the way, I already got fish here ready. Here's charcoal fire. You're cold. You're tired. You're wet. I mean, just think about, you know, I know some of us don't like camping, but, you know, there's just something about getting out and around a fire. That's why all us urbanites have these fire pits, right? Because we're acting like we're you're real wild, you know, wilderness men. When in, but, but there's something about getting around a fire. And this is where the close encounter is going to come. Fish are frying. It's breakfast time. Come and eat, sit, recline. And he treats them to the benefits before he confronts him. 
It's only when we obey the risen Lord's call to live in this way, and not our own way, that we'll really experience the benefits. See, he didn't, they didn't have that fire and fish as long as they were fishing in the flesh. As long as you're living in the flesh, you're missing the benefits as a Christ follower. You've got to, in a sense, get out of the boat and walk on water like Peter did at one point. You've got to obey the Lord and cast out the net when mentally, rationally, we fished all night. We're fishermen. There's no fish here. There was 153 fish there waiting to be caught, but it took an obedient faith. So I want you to look at this this, uh, uh, video by Francis Chan, which kind of captures the type of lifestyle that Jesus was reminding the disciples, this is the lifestyle that you need to live. off the team, whatever, you know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go... Uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what, I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go, Now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. 
That's the routine, the boring. I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live. And then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. That's the message that we've been looking at in verses 1 through 14. I think that's a great word picture. And, uh, and you've got to put yourself in Peter's sandals. He lived that reckless, uh, risk-taking, Lord, I'll follow you even if no one else does. And then he fell right on his face. Right? But he did it in the flesh. And when he said, I'm going fishing, he says, I'm going back to the safe life. I'm going back to what I know because I failed and things are crazy right now. Christ is risen. I get that. I saw him. I've already had a one-on-one with him, but I'm just not sure. And see, what we've done, we've had a, a lot of millennials, a lot of young people that are listening to the Francis Chans, and that's great. And they're running out there doing risky things. That's great, too. But I think a lot of them are falling on their faces because they're doing Doing it in the flesh. They don't know the gospel. They're not in the word of God. They're not really doing it in the power of the spirit. They're just young and crazy. And I was there once. You know, now my resist, I got to resist not hugging the balance beam now. But it doesn't matter what age or season or stage that you are. You need to be doing it in the power of the spirit according to the calling of the risen Lord. Amen. So let's take a look at it, the convicting encounter. So look at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, oh my gosh, again, uh, was there laughter? Was there fun? I don't know. I think there was a little awkwardness. That was a long breakfast, I think, for Peter. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved, broken hearted, cut to the core because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's addressing Peter with a profound, absolute truth. When you were younger, you used used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. See, you did your own thing. You went fishing when you wanted to go fishing. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. What is that? 
Verse 19, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. The death is, according to tradition, uh, he was crucified. And, and, and that's, that's established. What is not so established, it is said that G, uh, Peter said, Crucify me up, upside down because I am not worthy to die in the same manner that my Lord did. The point is this. You used to do your own thing. But as you mature and as you follow me, others are going to determine how you die and how you live. It doesn't matter how you die. It doesn't matter how you live. Follow me. Follow me. All right, so let's we'll we'll end it there. Let's take a look at this, uh, and I want you to notice something that I picked up this this go around. I, I told you this. I think the fourth series, fourth time I taught this series, but still learning, still growing, and I hope you're still learning as if you've heard this before. But this begins around the charcoal fire. You're, you're led to believe after breakfast there there's it seems to be around the charcoal fire, and I think that's important because we're going to see the only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned in John is the charcoal fire, Peter warmed his hands around while Christ was being interrogated and tortured, and he denied Christ three times. But somewhere in the story, it moves in verse 19 to where Peter and Jesus are walking on the beach. We're not told when that happened. And all of a sudden, in verses 19 on, he's, he's already said, you, you, you'll walk. Notice he says in, in, in verse 18, he starts talking about walking. And then in verse, at the end of verse 18, he said, or verse 19, he says, follow me. And, and it seems that they're walking now. And so I find that interesting that in this call to restore and reconcile with Peter, he goes from sitting and reclining, enjoying the benefits of the risen Lord, to actually walking and following with him. And as we see, John's going to be stalking them. He gets up, he walks with them. So it's very interesting. Especially when you realize that in the Gospels, again and again, when Jesus calls the disciples to follow Him, it always begins with Jesus was walking along the seashore. Jesus was walking along and He said, follow me. So there's all these echoes, all these reminders of, guys, I'm risen, but the agenda has not changed. Follow me. Don't go back to the old way of life. But realize now you have resurrection power. Now I've already breathed the Holy Spirit. And yet Pentecost is yet coming. You have the power to do this. So let's, let's, let's run into this. There's so much here. We just want to keep going. Jesus repeats the question. Okay, so let's move down. Oh, I didn't give you. The convicting encounter. Peter is repeatedly questioned for a restoring reason. Jesus, or Peter is repeatedly questioned by Jesus for a restoring reason. Not a condemning one, a restoring one. And he does this by repeated questions. So let's take a look at it in your notes and in your Bible, verses 15 through 17. Jesus' repeated question is this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And in the first question, he has that key phrase, more than these. So let's take a look at it. First of all, who is questioned? Whoa, Simon, son of John. But what do we know him as? 
Peter. And who gave him the name Peter? Jesus. And when did Jesus give him the name Peter? Does anybody know? When? When he called him. When he first called him. You are Simon, son of Jonah, but I call you Peter. So, whoa, Jesus, who gave him the new name, is using which name? New name or old name? That's that's a big... Yeah, yeah, Jody, I like Jody. She's like, mm, not good. No, it's not good. And to me, it's indicating that everything in the first 14 verses is an indication that he's living the old way of life, his old nature. So it's the old name versus the new name, Peter. The only other time in John's gospel that Jesus uses Peter's old name in John's gospel is John 1.42. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And he's saying, Peter, Simon, you're living the old life. Okay, old name versus new name. Secondly, the old, he's bringing up the old nature versus the new nature. Because when he called him Peter, he would later say in Matthew 16, he said this. In Matthew 16, he said to them, verses 15 through 18, But who do you say that I am? Everybody else, he said, who do the crowds say? And the crowds all got it wrong. A prophet, a teacher, a great holy man. He said, who do you say? And it was Simon Peter who answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says this, Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In calling him Simon, he's saying, Simon, you're going back to the old nature. You're going back to just fishing for fish, but I called you Peter because I have a greater purpose and a greater calling, and I'm going to greatly use you to preach the gospel and have Thousands on the day of Pentecost confessed that thou art the Christ, just like you did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Simon, you're missing it. You're missing out. You're living according to the old nature, not the new nature. I don't call you rock right now. I'm calling you Simon. And he's talking about old loyalties versus new loyalties. All that is bound up in saying, Simon, son of John. Because here's the deal. In Luke 5, the only other catch of fish, miraculous catch of fish, this is what happens after the catch of fish. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. At that that first catch of fish, Peter got it right. You're God. I'm not. I'm unworthy. I'm humbled. I'm broken. Leave my presence because I'm not worthy to be in it. But somewhere along the line, he got full of himself. And he said, I'll follow you even though no one else does. Because he forgot who Jesus was and he forgot who he was. And he got full of himself. Are you with me? And so, for, for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. 
For from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. See, Jesus is taking him back and saying, Look, you left your nets and now you're going back to it. You left all to follow me. And in this tension between the now and the not yet, you've given in to the temptation to return to that old way. You're grabbing the balance beam. You're living safe. And you're not following me. So this isn't just about Peter. It's about us. When it comes to your lifestyle and decision making, who are you? I'm not asking whether you're saved. Probably everyone here would confess and profess that you're born again. I'm not asking that. I'm saying when it comes to your lifestyle, your entertainment, your, your, what you do with your recreation, what you do with your off time, what you do with your social media, when it comes to your lifestyle and your decision making, who are you? Are you old Chris or are you new Chris in Christ? Are you old Dana or are you new Dana in Christ. You see what I'm saying? You, you, you're, a, you're a follower. You profess that. But in your decision making and in your lifestyle, who are you? Would, would Christ call you casual and carnal? Or would he call you spiritual and sold out? A living love is the result of knowing and living according to our position. Our position in Christ. Forsake all and follow Him. A living love is the result of knowing and living according to our position in Christ. Forsake all to follow Him. Does that make sense? So there's the first thing. Now, that's just who is questioned. Second thing, what is the question? What is the question that's repeated three times? And it's this. Do you love me more than these. That's the first time. Do you love me more than these? Now, more than what? You have to ask the question. More than what? The text does not clearly tell us. But where are they sitting? At least initially. They're sitting around a fire and there's a net of 153 fish. There's six other disciples. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Do you love me more than these? And I would say it comes down to more than fish and fishing and or more than the others do. More than fish or fishing? Did he point to the net of fish? Do you love me more than your old habits, your old occupation? Or did he wave his hand around the fire and say, do you love me more than these other disciples? I think, it, I think it could be both. I, the, the, the scripture doesn't tell us. So is it the old habits or the old hu- hubris? The old pride? Because here's what I'm saying. He says, I'm going fishing. And he caught nothing. In obedience, he caught everything. And, 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 and I think Jesus' is one thing is, hey, do you love me more than your old habits? Do you love me more than fishing? Good question for all of us. What's your? I, I, I've told you the last couple of weeks. Think about what your fishing is. Jeff's testimony is there was a time where he literally made this decision to put Christ above his recreational fishing, and we're so glad he did. Amen. Because our the kingdom has benefited. But I have no problem. See, I can be very pious. Now nah, I put Christ before fishing. But I have my other fishings. You know what's what's your thing. What's your thing? What's my thing? 
But I think it's also more than the others do. He's addressing Peter's pride because what did Peter say? Lord, I'll fall. You know, Christ said, hey, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die and you guys are going to all scatter. And Peter said, not me. These other jerks, they might. They got pretty low commitment. But not me. I'll follow you. And, and Jesus said, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. In other words, he's saying, this is the night before. And he says, look, dawn won't even break. Dawn won't even break, and you will eat those words. So, I think part of what Jesus is saying, Peter, have you been broken? Has your pride been broken? Do you love me more than these guys do? So, I think that's part of the question. So here's the question for you and I. When it comes to our lifestyle and decision making, what do you love more? Again, the way you live your life and the decisions you make on a daily day, daily day by day, what do you love more? Yourself and your agenda or Christ and his agenda for your life? Are you more about satisfying self and meeting the needs of your family? Or are you living for God's family on a daily decision lifestyle basis? And don't get me wrong, taking care of your family when done in the power of the Spirit, when done for the glory of God, when done to raise disciples that make disciples is a part of kingdom work. So don't, I'm not putting a dichotomy, right? It's about why you're doing it. It's about who you're doing it for. Is it so people it will reflect well on you, that others will reflect well on your kids? Or is it because you're doing kingdom work in raising these kids? You're doing kingdom work in making this marriage work. You're doing kingdom work when you go to work. You're doing kingdom work as you're in college or university or, or wherever you're training, career. It doesn't matter. Because here's the result. A living love results in knowing and living according to our priorities in Christ. A living love results in knowing and living according to our priorities in Christ. And joy is spelled Jesus, others, you. Joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. That's the priorities. That's kingdom priorities, okay? Third, third aspect to the question, why? Why the question? So we've seen who is asked the question. We've looked at what the question is. Why the question? And repeated three times is this key phrase, do you love me? Now what's interesting in this passage is there's two different words for love used in the original Greek. There's two different words for sheep. There's two different words for no. And there's two different words for tend and feed. And the reason I'm bringing that out is because sometimes pastors will get excited about this passage and wax eloquent on the different meanings of phileo and agape and all the different words. But the point is, this is John's style. He just uses different words. Okay? I don't, there, there might be some significance, but if there is, it's so. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus asks this thing three times. The first time is the main point. Do you love me more than these? The second time he asks, it's like he's saying, do you get it or are you just mouthing the words? 
Parents, have you ever asked your kids a question? They answer, and what do you follow up with? What do you say, Kurt? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we don't get subtle about it. We, we just say, now, are you just saying that or do you mean it? And that's the second, the, that's why he's asking. He's saying, okay, Peter, I know that you're a good at putting, you know, opening mouth, inserting foot. You're the first to speak. So you're speaking here very quickly. Let me ask you again. Do you love me? All right. Third time, he uses Peter's own words. Yeah, you say that, Peter, but do you really, really mean it? That is where, so the first two times, Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you agape me? And each time Peter responds, I phileo you, I phileo you. I, he's saying, do you sacrificially love me? And Peter says, I, 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 I've got the emotion there. I'm not quite sure about the commitment. And so in the last time, he says this. He says, do you phileo me? I'm questioning down to the very core. Where's your confidence come from? Who are you trusting? Peter responds three times. The first time he says, Lord, you know I love you. And he doesn't reference the others. See, his cockiness has been stripped from him. Before, he said, even if they fall away, I will not. So he says, do you love me more than these? Uh, I don't think Peter's looking around. I think he's just focusing on Jesus and say, I love you. I've learned my lesson. It's not about comparing myself to others. The second time he says, Lord, you know I love you. And see, he keeps saying, you know. The idea is he's saying, Lord, quit questioning me because it's not about me, I realize. It's not about what I know. It's what you know about me. I'm counting on what you know. It's not about me. See, before, he was good at telling Jesus, hey, here's who I am. Here's how I'm going to follow you. In case you don't know, Lord, I'm one of your committed ones. See, now that's all stripped away. And he's like, Lord, it's not about what I... It's not about me. It's about what you know of me. And I'm really counting, Lord, that you know that I love you. Because I know I failed you. I know I don't measure up. I know you caught me doing my thing. I know you're treating me to the benefits. I know it's about you. Third time, he's filled with grief. The third time, he feel, he's filled with grief. And he leaves off the yes, Lord. He doesn't say the yes, Lord. He just, see, see now, now he's not even, look, I can't even answer this, Lord. You know. You know. And I know what's going on here. Because I was around the fire the first time when I denied you three times. And I know what you're doing here the third time. You're reminding, you're restoring me. You're reconciling me. You're calling me to confess my weakness afresh and anew and place my confidence in you. You're not shaming me. You're restoring me. But listen, restoration requires confession and reconciliation. All right? So let's take a look at this. Two things I want you to fill out. First of all, first there was personal reconciliation. There was, first of all, 
personal reconciliation. And I've got two references there. We've already mentioned this in this series. You do realize that Jesus and Peter had one-on-one time that we know nothing about. On the first Easter, Jesus revealed himself alone to Peter. Luke mentions it. Paul mentions it in his proclamation of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, but we know nothing about it. And you know why? Because it was none of our business. Because you see, when Jesus, when Peter around that first charcoal fire denied him that third time, the cock crowed. And the text says, Peter and Jesus locked eyes. And Peter broke and wept bitterly. For he knew in that moment, I'm not all that. I'm not, I can't do this alone. I have denied him. And I did it three times. And so, again, since we don't know, I'm now entering into speculation, but I think it's speculation in the context of Scripture I think that resurrection appearance to Peter on Easter was to say, let's get this right. I forgive you. I And why is it private? Because he was denying, it was between him and Jesus. No one else needs to know about that. So if you sin in a way that no one else knows, and, and the Spirit convicts you, then you confess it, and you don't have to tell anybody else about it. If it's a repeated thing, you ought to get help. Okay, but I mean, the point is personal reconciliation. But what's taking a place around this charcoal fire is public restoration, public restoration with others. So I think the the personal reconciliation of forgiveness and confession took place in that private resurrection, close encounter between Peter and Jesus. But what's happening here is Peter had bragged in front of the others, even if all these jerks leave you, I won't. And Jesus all along has called him to be the leader of the apostles, not the pope, the leader among equals. And that's exactly what happens in Pentecost. He stands with the other disciples on equal ground, but he's the spokesman. And the point is, there's a little bit of disconnect between these guys. You know, Peter's basically, these jerks won't leave you, or they'll leave you, I won't. And they're all thinking, you're a jerk for saying that. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus is publicly restoring him in the eyes of the others and in the eyes of himself to say, I'm still going to use you. It's okay. Here's the point. Sin is always dealt at the level that it's known. Sin is always dealt with at the level that it is known. And so if it's just between you and the Lord, keep it, deal with it between you and the Lord. If it's between you and others, then you've got to go to the Lord, but then you need to go to them. And so that's how church discipline works. We as a church are committed to church discipline among our members, and it's done at the level of, that it's known. When the church knows it, we have to deal with it church-wide. When this group knows it, we got to include that group. When it's just you and a few others, then we deal with it at that level. You see, you see what I'm saying? 
All right. So when it comes to your lifestyle and decision making, how do you prove that you really love the Lord? Does your walk match your talk? Are you a fully devoted follower who is fishing and feeding, as we're going to see what that means in a minute? A living love results in knowing and living according to our purpose in Christ. The point is this. We prove our love by how we live, not merely what we say. If we went around here today, including myself, and we all asked, do you love the Lord? We'd all give the Sunday school answer. What would we all say? Yes. And we might say, yes, but. But this lesson kind of deals with the but part. Okay? This deals with, do you love me? How are you living it? How are you showing it on a daily basis? So let's keep moving. Peter's repeated answer, yes, Lord. So let's, I just have the text here. Yes, Lord. He says that two times. I see in this humility and responsiveness. Humility and responsiveness. Yes, Lord. I'm still a disciple of you. It's a positive answer from a humbled heart. Second of all, he says two times, you know that I love you. Here I see humility and repentance. Humility and repentance. I recognize now that you know me better than I do. You know I love you. It's no longer that self-confidence. So the first one, I see humility and responsiveness. Here I see humility and repentance. And then the third time, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, and he responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That might sound like he's challenging the Lord, but it's not. I see humility and restoration. I see humility and restoration. Because this word grieved is used in John 16 and 2 Corinthians 7. It's the grieving of true repentance. It's a truly broken heart that says, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. Now let's go down to Jesus' repeated command. He gives a repeated command, challenge, commission, and it's this, feed my fish. I love this quote by this lady, Rita Snowden. Snowden uh, sorry about that, Snowden. Snowden. Failure is never final with God. You ask me what forgiveness means, it is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. Whoa, is that beautiful? See, Jesus is saying, you failed, I forgive you, you're restored, now get back, I trust you to feed my sheep. That's huge. Amen? I mean, that's huge. He's not demoted. He's not set on the shelf. He's restored to his calling. The fisher's work is followed by the shepherd's work. So here's what I want you to see. Our love for the Lord is shown by serving His people. Our love for the Lord is shown by serving His people. Because here's what he says. Do you love me? And Peter answers with words, yes, you know I love you. And Jesus comes back with this weird answer, feed my sheep. Go do, go live. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Words, action. Yeah, I love you. Words, action. 
Okay? So, let me give you four principles. What does this mean? What's it mean that our love for the Lord is shown by serving people? Number one, serving is being a good steward of my gifts to build up the body of Christ. The reason Peter is told to feed his sheep is because Peter was called to be a shepherd. You may not be called to be a shepherd, but whatever your gifting and shape for ministry is, then Jesus would say, do you love me? And you'd say, yes, I love you. Then he'd say, Dane, then go according to your shape and your gifting and serve my church. You see what I'm saying? And so for each of us, it's going to look a little different. Because remember, we're talking about unique personalities here, right? Going to look different for Mary than it does for Peter. Different for Thomas. He went to India. Thomas went to India. Peter went to Rome. So serving is being a good steward of your gifts. Number two, serving proves the sincerity of our love. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus, the head, when you don't serve his body. Can I hear a witness? Okay. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus, the head of the church, when you don't consistently come to church. Don't tell me you love Jesus, the head of the church, when you don't consistently tithe to His church. Those aren't sets of rules, by the way. That's not legalism. That's love when you really love Him. See, when you really love Him, you don't say, how much do I have to give? You say, I wish I could give what? More. You don't say... How little can I serve? You're like, I wish I could serve more, but to balance and you know, and to keep my life and, and obey all that God has for me, here's where I can serve, here's what I will serve, and I'll sacrifice to do it. Number three, serving leads to personal sacrifice. Serving leads to personal sacrifice. You can't hug the balance beam and serve Jesus. You say, well, yeah, I want to serve Him. And, Peter said, and, and Jesus says, you're going to be crucified. Follow me. Follow me. You know, and I'm not joking here when I'm talking about talking about uh, Grace and her parents, Amber, and, and us as parents, you with your kids. It's easy to say, I want my kids to serve the Lord. But when He takes them into harm's way, when He takes them away from us, when He takes them into places and situations that was good for other people, kids, then we understand what sacrifice really means. Right? So I feel that. I know that. Number four, serving requires single-mindedness. Serving requires single-mindedness. Let's pick the story up again. Jesus says, follow me. And by the way, this whole passage has zeroed in on Peter, right? I mean, it's just like laser, follow me. They might be walking, just the two of them. We don't, it kind of leads that way, walking along the beach, two of them talking. Look at verse 20. What do we like to do? We like to deflect when, when Jesus starts talking to us, don't we? Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following them. The one who also leaned on leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now, you just told me I'm going to be crucified. Misery loves company. John going to get the same treatment, okay? 
Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You But what about them? You follow me. Yeah, but they don't have as hard a path as you've called me to. You follow me. They seem to get all the breaks. I feel like I'm living the life of Job. They seem to be living the life of Abraham. Things are going well. You follow me. Therefore the saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And then he finishes with his testimony that he has told the truth. I end with this. I love this saying, what if he remains with me until I come? What if he remains? You know what? John did. According to tradition, it seems very likely that John is the only disciple who was not a martyr. He lived to his 90s. He lived to the end of the apostolic age, A.D. 95, 98. And you know what the reality is? He did have to walk his path. He was cast as a... He was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he receives the revelation of Jesus' second coming, the book of Revelation. John lived until he saw his coming. Not literally, but in revealing the book of Revelation. Isn't that cool? So there you go. I will end with... uh, By the way, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, he's got this thing throughout the Chronicles of Narnia... Aslan would be telling, talking to one of the kids, and they'd ask about someone else, and Aslan would say, I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. That's throughout Narnia. Great principle of this, this, this principle in literature. A little girl stayed for dinner at home of her first great friend. The vegetable was buttered broccoli. Mm-mm. And the mother asked if she liked it. The child replied very politely, oh, yes, I love it. But when the bowl of broccoli was passed, she declined to take any. And the mother said, I thought you said you loved broccoli. And the girl responded sweetly, Oh, yes, ma'am, but not enough to eat it. (laughs) Well, that's where we are. Do you love the Lord? Oh, yes, I love the Lord. Then what about your priorities? What about your purpose? What about your daily living? Well, not enough to live it. Well, God has grace for us, if that's you. I, I, we, we, we didn't make it all the way, but that's all right. I think we, made, I think we have enough application. Do we have enough application? Have we spent enough time at the charcoal fire, the awkwardness? But there's grace. Amen? There's grace. Well, we'll continue. We'll continue. On the back of your notes, I leave you with this. I'm a big Michael Card fan, which shows my age. Uh, he looks a lot like Jordan. So I like that too. And he wrote a song called The Stranger on the Shore. If you Google that, maybe we'll even show it next week. There's a video of him, you, of him, play, of him singing the song. But there are the words. And I include this, and here's why I include that. Because look, some of you are artistic. Some of you are drama people. Some of you, you know, I'm, I'm more linear and logical. That's my style. But Michael Card puts this passage and its truth to music. 
And so I want you to appreciate that. One of the most beautiful and most needed things in the church today is for God's people with artistic, dramatic, musical, creative talent to take Scripture and become students of the Word and then translate that not into a Bible lesson like me as a teacher and preacher, but into art, into drama, into story like C.S. Lewis, I quoted that, and into song. I love hearing songs that put the story of Scripture and live it out. They're powerful stuff. So listen to the song this week, okay? And it's great application. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Your word is so rich. Your grace is so deep. And Lord, our brokenness is equally great and deep. But you meet us where we are. And I hope that mantra has been sealed in our hearts. You meet us where we are, but you don't leave us that way. And so if there are those who need to be reconciled with you, may they go to you. If there's those that need to be reconciled with others, may they go to them. But at the end of the day, may we put our love in action and follow you, regardless of what others do, regardless of the cost. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, good time in God's Word today, amen. Let's put it into action this week.